0: Chachten an indo askelege. Time iman iurti end of chacht er a chur. Aga sollegum a magansha gör fager er a chur enuik kiert len av winterthing. Skilte viss turmi. Tashay si dokracha nach vetok ara igornamion an kiesjine ekel. Vi antalum a ginaum griv Yatokshet Horin Griven or Karson, Elis Tuhalagis Kimina Fnacht, Gor Kligsardukishenecher, only Vin Owen, Thordarakishin, Vin Marev.
1: Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.
0: Today on the Indo Daily, the Premier League footballer and the big business of South American kidnapping. Just days after being kidnapped by armed men in northern Colombia, Silenis Marulanda marches alongside family, friends and supporters to appeal for the release of her husband. Soccer star Luis Diaz has continued to play for Liverpool despite his father being held hostage in his native Colombia. Elliot. Diaz! (laughs) What he's been through and his family have been through in these last couple of weeks, you can't help but feel absolute joy. The story has gained global attention, but it's far from a unique situation. In South America, kidnapping is an established industry. We're dismayed, but we also have faith that this family will get out of this difficult situation. It's painful that things like this are still happening here. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Anya Shortland, Professor in Political Economy at King's College in London, to examine this dangerous yet oddly accepted business. Anya, before we get into the story of Luis Diaz's family and the wider issue around kidnapping, I have to start by asking you, how does one become a professor who is an expert in kidnapping?
1: I started by studying Somali piracy in 2010, and I was really intrigued by the surprisingly orderly nature of what looked like a market for hostages. And I thought that was really strange because piracy is supposed to be violent, um, Somalia is supposed to be this anarchic space, and yet it's a very clear idea that As few people as possible would get harmed. There would be no murder. There might be threats, but they wouldn't be carried out. And if you paid a ransom, then the ship would get released. And it just seemed really strange to me. So I started to ask a lot of questions of a lot of people and found that indeed there is a a rather orderly system for international or transnational kidnap and hijack for ransom.
0: Obviously, the story that has been making international headlines in the last few days relates to the Liverpool soccer player Louis Diaz. We'll talk about how common this type of situation is in a few moments, but maybe just start by giving people a reminder of what has gone on with Louis Diaz and his family in Colombia.
1: Yeah, I find the story really difficult to disentangle. So what we do know is that Luidia's father and mother were traveling, their car was stopped. But whether this was at a roadblock or whether somebody chased them, that is not clear to me. Whatever happened, they took his father but didn't take his mother. And he's been in the jungle for over a week.
0: Well, here is the Diaz statement she released on Instagram. He said, today is not the football player speaking to you today. Lucho Diaz, the son of Luis Manuel Diaz, is speaking to you. My name, my father, is a tireless worker, our pillar in the family, and he is kidnapped. I ask the ELN for the prompt release of my father, and I ask international organizations to intervene for his freedom. Every second, every minute, our anguish grows. My mother, my brothers and I, are desperate, anguished, and without words to describe what we are feeling. This suffering will only end when we have him back home.
1: There is a big military effort to try and prevent him being smuggled into Venezuela. There is a diplomatic effort to try and get him back. And there might also be a ransom negotiation in the background.
0: But is the principle, what we imagine or what we think from the movies or the spy novels, it is he has been taken and the expectation is that money will be handed over for his safe release. Is that the basic plot line?
1: I don't know how well organised this was. It could have been they've been travelling somewhere where they're expected to pay some protection money and didn't. They might have been picked up at at a roadblock. They were clearly in ELN, so rebel territory. You have to know how to do that. I'm not sure that there was any order to kidnap them. I think it might have just been a completely random event. But if you Google Louis Diaz, then some rather big numbers start popping up on the screen, like a 37 million pound transfer fee or maybe 45 or maybe 49 million pounds. and it's an interesting proposition for a, a rebel group potentially. That's always or traditionally financed itself with kidnapping and drug trade and protection arrangements.
0: Obviously, how everybody reacts to this type of situation is their own, if you like. But it has really struck me that Louis Diaz stayed in England, He's continuing to train with Liverpool. Not just that, but he scored, uh, and I say this as a Liverpool fan, he scored a last-minute equaliser against Luton at the weekend. So he's playing at the toppest level of football while all this is going on in the background. Is that type of response normal for people in these situations in South America? Because I imagine if it was my family member, I would certainly not be going to work.
1: Yes, but you would not be habituated to to a country where in the past tens of thousands have been kidnapped and safely released. With all the research that I've done over the years, there has always been the sign, murder is not part of the program. They don't want to lose hostages. I think it's very interesting that they didn't take the mother because there's probably more trouble than it was worth in some way. You don't want to take somebody who's, whose health is not good or who's going to get themselves into a frightful, stressful state and might have a heart attack. So it's not designed to, to kill people. It's a way of backing up protection demands etc and I think the other thing that you should also bear in mind in this context is that wonderful quote from John Paul Getty whose grandson was kidnapped famously and he said if I pay one penny now I'll have 14 kidnapped grandchildren there is that to consider as well if you start throwing money at this kind of problem then you're incentivizing and putting a bullseye target on everybody else that's in your family. And that is something that's definitely to be avoided.
0: Only when the kidnappers cut off the boy's ear did his grandfather agree to pay. But only as much as he could deduct from his taxes, $2.2 2 million. The rest of the ransom, $700,000, was deemed a loan. The teenager had to pay back with 4% interest. It's fascinating. The other thing that has struck me in this particular story before we move on from it is that we do seem to know quite a bit about the kidnappers. They're they're from the Colombia's National Liberation Army, but there are people who are effectively acting as spokespeople for these groups, saying things like they need security demands.
1: Oh, that's absolutely right. Like, like I said, this is a really well-established way of being heard by government, to, to be understood by business people who are trying to do business in, in, in their areas. It used to be extremely common when the other major rabble group, the FARC, was kidnapping. They've stopped doing that largely because of the uh, peace deal with the government. The ELN is still in negotiation with the government over a peace deal. And there's also this big diplomatic effort where they're talking to the ELN and saying, look, this is a mistake. You, You should not have taken this man. You're jeopardizing the career of a national treasure. You got the wrong guy. Just give him back. And... All indications, that's probably what they'll do.
0: Maybe this is a very simplistic question, but if they know who these people are, or certainly some of them, why isn't there a state clamped down on that? Why aren't police getting in there, arresting these guys and putting them behind bars?
1: Oh, because that would be very costly. Because they're in the jungle, they know how to defend themselves. With Louis Dia's father, they've got a human shield. They've probably got several others. And as I said, this is not something that's a particularly nasty business. It's just better for things to just run through the motions. And I see a lot of nervousness with the military presence there. But if that was stood down, he would probably walk out of the jungle.
0: We're talking about Colombia here, but this we see this in a number of South American countries. So how, how common is it?
1: It's not happening as much as it did when the um, civil war was in full swing and um, rebel groups very frequently kidnapped people. And they're doing a lot less of that now. I mean, there are, there are different types of of kidnapping activities. There are some extremely nasty ones between drugs cartels, and that's often deadly and hugely unpleasant for, for everybody involved. And then there is kidnapping, where it's understood that the hostages are involuntary guests. But if all goes well and everyone gets their heart medication and their diabetes pills, it'll be fine.
0: You see, straight business negotiation may not work in a hostage negotiation because I can't negotiate for three or four hostages and offer to leave one or two behind and think, oh, I'm still getting a pretty good deal. You talked about Louis Diaz having a lot of big numbers beside his name when you put him into Google. How do these guys pick their targets, if you like? You know, there's often this idea that, oh, be careful going to South America as a backpacker from Ireland or England or wherever it might be. You know, there's a there's a lot of kidnappings and things over there. But that's not exactly who they're looking for. I
1: think if you're an Irish or, 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 or British student, you would get some pretty clear pointers as to where is safe to go and uh, where isn't. A lot of kidnapping isn't that targeted. It's just... You got a roadblock, and you're part of the jungle. That the army knows not to get into and stop a white Toyota to Land Cruiser. And then, if somebody interesting hops out, you'll take them. And then you phone the ELN or whatever your rebel group's um, CEO is, and and say, oh, "We've got this
0: guy." You've said two things. I think that slightly contradict themselves, Anya, and I'd be interested to see. Wh- where the middle ground is. You said that murder is not a part of the programme, but you've also cited that there is a real reluctance to hand over money in these kidnap situations because once you pay a ransom once, you're basically a hostage to fortune, if you like. So how do these situations resolve themselves if not violently and not with the handing over of a ransom?
1: The way in which you stabilise kidnapping is by bartering for a ransom that makes it only just about worthwhile engaging in kidnapping. If, if, if you throw money at that problem, you create the incentive to do more kidnapping. If you say, yes, uh, that 37 million were paid between two clubs and I saw nothing of that. So stand down from your demand of whatever 20 million for my dad I'm just a footballer with a big credit card debt and and on and, and a, a higher car you can change expectations yeah and these things just they just take time but ultimately if, if you're at least I'm some more in the space of insured transnational kidnapping for an insurance company it would be really bad to throw around big numbers.
0: You mentioned a thing called kidnap for ransom insurance. What is that or how common is it? These situations are very real and can happen to anyone. A kidnap, ransom and extortion policy from Great American Insurance Group's Fidelity Crime Division provides coverage for these types of events, financial protection and a comprehensive support system in times of crisis.
1: It's something that firms might buy if they... uh, locate in, in high-risk areas such as Mali or Nigeria or Colombia. So if you got kidnapped for ransom insurance, basically it's extremely difficult to kidnap you in the first place. But if you are kidnapped or one of your people are kidnapped, then there is a really professional crisis response that will make sure that the hostage comes back alive, but for a price that doesn't break the bank, that doesn't help the kidnappers. It's super, super interesting.
0: But on that exact point, you mentioned it's a business. I think earlier you used the word industry. Obviously, there are the kidnappers. Is there? Are there people who make a living out of being negotiators in these scenarios who actually th- their reason for existing is, I suppose, the, the opposite side of this and that's how they make a living?
1: Yes, there are professional negotiators, but they're also security professionals, so they'd much rather advise people on how not to get kidnapped. But if they are, then they know how to get them back.
0: There was a time Anya, in this country where we were used to the story of kidnappings being in the news. I'm thinking particularly during some of when the IRA was heavily involved in crime and um, that was one of the tactics that they would have used. There was also a period where there was a thing called tiger kidnappings whereby staff of banks were being kidnapped as a way to try and beat security systems in banks if the individual knew about it. That has all kind of died out and I would say it's partly because it's much more difficult nowadays between there being cameras everywhere and mobile phones tracking people Um it's not as easy to kidnap something. But in South America, has it become any more difficult or does the jungle offer that protection?
1: Yes, it's it's people travelling in areas that they need to know how to travel in. It is something that happens with some regularity in Colombia, but um, compared to 10 years ago, it's almost nothing because it's no longer part of the civil war strategy. Yes, it can be part of a crime strategy. It can be something that's, that's opportunistic, but it's it's no longer properly a, a part of the, the rebellion and the struggle.
0: And finally, the entertainment industry has long been attracted to telling these type of stories. I, I would almost put money on the Diaz story becoming a Netflix documentary or some sort of a, an Apple movie at some stage. Are the depictions we've seen in films like Man on Fire, are they real, are they totally fictionalised?
1: I think the movie industry is really interested in that tension. What would you do if your loved one, your treasure was kidnapped and you have to negotiate a price and there will be threats. It isn't really tense, it's a, it's a psychological warfare. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want.
0: If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills, skills I've
1: acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. So I can, I, I, I can see that it makes its, its way into movies. It's a great story. But ultimately, very often, it is also a business transaction that, with a calm mind and, and, and a focus on what the rational best response of the kidnappers would be, you can defuse. And that's that's what the crisis responders do. And they, yeah, they, take, they try and take as much of the emotion out of the deal. And um, it works extremely well.
0: And you, Shortland, thank you very much. My thanks to Anya Shortland. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by D-Ready, researched by Dave Hanratty, with sound by Stephen O'Brien. Archive clips were from Sky Sports Premier League, Sky Sports News, ABC News Australia and CNN. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.